The place of scripture that I'm going to read is Ephesians 4:22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to its deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The word that I will present is taken from the series of sermons of Apostle Brother Akadi, which is a call for all of us who have loved the word of the Lord. And it is sounding or sounds like a military call. It's interesting that not many hear it, and only those hear it that prepare their heart to listen to the word of God, who hunger to hear them, who has the desire to uh, abide and be within the word who trembles before the great and glorious words of the Heavenly Father that have become in our days as never before more powerful and very identifying. And today it's important what or how we uh, behave regarding the truth. And this is for those who have renewed their spirit and renewed their soul as we have the mind of Christ together. Here we're talking about the third part of us, this is our body, which also needs to be clothed into something very different, where the law of sin and death will not function or work. <clears throat> we can uh, we proclaim today that we are free, and the time will come that it will actually take place and happen, where the old man will no longer be present or governing sin. The calling, we will. We need to remember that the, all of our functions are different in the body of Christ, but we all have the Our functions are different, but the goals are the same, and that's to renew our mind with the spirit of our mind, and we're called to this. The mind that we are given and that we use, of course, uh, in different ways. This is in accordance to our individuality, uh, the measure of our faith. The measure of our faith depends on the measure of our dedication and our mind is required to be renewed. The mind needs to not be uh, the one that is the purpose of the whole body. It needs to be renewed. To fulfill this order, we need to put three commanding and fundamental verbs into practice. To put off, be renewed, and put on. However, looking at the sequence of the given commanding verbs in the given command, it does not indicate the method and means that are necessary to be utilized so that you put off your former way of life after which you then renew or renew your mind by the spirit of your mind and finally then begin the process of clothing yourself into the new person. We need to note that these commanding verbs are presented only for to that category of the nation of God that in essence have left spiritual infancy because only after leaving spiritual infancy, we then have a choice. And we recently heard that a person that is in the state of infancy always sees as if through a dimmed mirror. A dimmed mirror is what stands between us and what we're looking at. I recently uh, fixed my my, uh, ceiling and I had clean glasses on But it came a point where my glasses began to uh, 
fog and I wasn't able to see clearly and I remembered uh, this phrase where it says you see as if in a uh, a dim mirror he it, this person is not able to know the signs of the time or spiritual things that have been spoken to him and he does not hear because he can't uh, hear them he hears them uh, and considers it to be heresy he does not count or accept the things that are from spirit as soul and he looks at a spiritual person as one in error and him as correct and this person always wants to judge everything evaluate everything and specifically our decision regarding regarding these three destiny impacting acts will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath the vessels of mercy are those who understood their true calling or vessels of wrath vessels of wrath are that category of people that did not understand their calling and are attracted by different false goals or more specifically will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a deposit that is given to us in the form of a seed as we know as we hear and we proclaim and we need to grow it into fruit or will we lose it which forever and not having become grown or will not be able to be grown into full into the fullness of growth in Christ and our names then will be blotted out of the book of life in a specific format we already looked at the first two questions and I've been studying the the third question what conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth and this is upon the condition if Jesus lives in us and if he does not live in us then we can't live in Christ and that means then that we can't represent him and he can't represent us we've noted that the new person into whom we need to be clothed is our inner or sacred person who is born from the imperishable seed of the Word of God that in essence or in nature the new person is righteous holy incorrupt and immortal due to which, although he is temporarily living within this mortal body, the new person, he lives in this mortal body, but he lives according to the interests, he doesn't live according to the interests of the mortal body, but abides in the fourth realm, the invisible and eternal world. Therefore, our new person carries eternity in himself while existing within the boundaries of time. He does not depend on time and rules over time. He looks at the unseen or invisible, lives with the unseen, and focuses on the unseen, which is why he proclaims the not-existent inheritance of Christ as existent within the parameters of time. And so only our new person has within himself eternity. But here in time, living our, our life here within the parameters of time, our spirit is, has a very different uh, essence and so if because if we look we there are compare uh, comparisons of of in kilometers centimeters and all different kinds of measurements there's a very different systems uh, as we go in miles and foot feet and different uh, measurements but we need to know that there's also uh, the the level of importance and the level of importance is not necessarily worldly. Those things of eternity have never been the things of the world, and the things of the world have never been the things of eternity. 
they are completely uh, opposite one to one another and so we need to reject our old values which is the house of our father our nation and our corrupt desires the destiny of the saints in the book of Hebrew it states that they died in the faith not having received what was promised that doesn't mean that they uh, were were not sufficient or something uh, our new person governs time rules over time but lives within the parameters of time and does not depend on time and so as we note he rules over time he lives in us as if he lives in it as he lives in eternity and so how is this able to happen or how is this possible because he lives with the unseen and focuses upon the unseen and he proclaims the non-existent inheritance of Christ as existent within the parameters of time this is paradox but when you look at what is heard with the eyes of faith and he lives with the unseen he lives with what he hears and uh, this person surrounds himself with what he hears not what he sees but what he hears he has written upon the tablets of his heart that means he proclaims he he works in the spirit in these things and a person who has not accepted the truth can't confess this with his mouth and cannot live or become one with the truth this is fundamental with uh, where a person as we know people often try to earn their salvation and the information they receive is very different and we know that faith is from hearing the word of God and it gives him power to proclaim the not existent within our parameters of time as existent in eternity and so that is he confesses with his mouth the treasure of faith that is written upon the tablets of his heart that is the inheritance that is imperishable pure undefiled and so the right to be clothed into the power of our new person is the right to rule over time just as in his time Abraham ruled over time he looked at the unseen he looked at the invisible the unseen and he lived but Lot did not behave this way Abraham and Lot but he only lived with the things he saw physically and with physical things and he focused on those physical things Abraham uh, proclaimed the not existent as existent and that is how he ruled over time just as we together uh, proclaim ourselves dead to sin living for God and just as, as Abraham how does the Lord look at his nation how do we look at ourselves how do we consider ourselves how do we look at our children how do we look at our brothers and sisters that surround us do we count them dead to sin I could say I could pray Lord I thank you I count myself dead to sin living for God but I see people around me but I look at them in a very different light and I then judge uh, in inaccurately something I shouldn't be doing Apostle Paul speaking to the Church of Ephesus and also to the Colossians he, he always called them holy and faithful just 
this is how we need to look at each other as well. Just as Abraham looked at Sarah, he saw her as one who bore kings. And so this speaks of unity in the body and demonstration of brotherly love. This is in the format of a command. And we have a command that if you love God, you love your neighbor also. The right to rule over time is to know uh, how you need to clothe yourself within what, what, uh, using what means and what time to do it. He who keeps this command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the time, the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? Ecclesiastes 8, 5 through 7. And he doesn't know because he doesn't want doesn't want to accept the person uh, who is receiving uh, or revealing this truth, passing on this truth. As there is a saying, each Ivan has his own plan. And so, looking at this in other places of scripture, we conclude that without our ability to rule over time, demonstrated in following the commandments by understanding the time and statute, it is impossible to be clothed into garments of righteousness to administer the perfect <coughs> justice of God. To study, uh, to rule over time, you need to follow God's commandments. Second, to follow God's commandments is to discern both time and statute. And so one who follows the commandments and knowing time and judgment, a person is clothed into garments of righteousness. After a person is clothed into garments of righteousness, then he is able to perform or administer the perfect justice of God. And so one who is able to rule over time is one who is able to administer this justice. In studying the natural qualities of the new person, we decided to look at the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the new person in seven ways or seven virtues, although there are many more of them. <clears throat> this is a person clothed into garments of salvation, a person clothed into a robe of righteousness, <clears throat> a person who decks himself with ornaments of a bridegroom, a person who adorns themselves into the jewels of a bride, a person clothed into uh, marital garments, a person clothed into pure and white linen, a person who has accepted the representing power of Yahweh of hosts. Studying the given virtues, we note that all of these virtues are contained in one the other, discover themselves in one the other, come one from the other, support one the other, and serve as confirmation of the truthful nature of one the other. In the book of Isaiah 61, 10, 11, we find four. Let us read this uh, two places. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. That's the first. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Second, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. Third, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Fourth, for as the earth brings forth its bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. And so, in this earth, God will grow these garments of salvation, robe of righteousness, crown of the bridegroom, jewels of the bride. 
We note that the combination of these virtues and regalia of power within one par- one person, and especially the combination of the crown of the bridegroom and jewels of the bride, truly surpass the abilities of our regular understanding. Second, in the given prophetic words, the given virtues grown by God within the heart of man is equal to how the, the earth grows its plants, and as a garden grows what has been sown or planted in it. These virtues identify the kingdom of heaven in man because joy in the Lord, this is third in the given prophecy, is one of the characteristics and components of the fruit of the Spirit, which is called to identify the kingdom of heaven in the good heart of man. And such fruit of joy within the heart of man is the result of the glorious harvest identifying the kingdom of heaven in his heart that has come in strength <clears throat> which previously <clears throat> in the sowing of the imperishable or incorrupt seed was sown in the heart of a person with tears as it is written Psalm 126 5 6 those who sow in it in tears shall reap in joy he who continually goes forth weeping bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him Psalm 126 5 6 there's a difference between the seed of the kingdom of heaven we receive and the fruit that grows from this seed and so when this fruit then can demonstrate this power into which we can be clothed <clears throat> and we are not for example able to clothe ourselves the purpose of a seed is death if we know there's only one purpose this is its purpose for the seed needs to die and after that not just not fruit yet but rather a root system a system for the tree of life which will bear fruits of the kingdom of heaven into which we need to be clothed therefore the clothing of ourselves into the new person death needs to happen if there's no death there's no resurrection and this in essence is clothing yourself into the resurrection of Christ in the form of us producing to God the fruit of the spirit which is called to identify within our heart the power and order of the grown within us and abiding within us kingdom of heaven in righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and so the fruit of the Spirit is the abiding in us kingdom of heaven in righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in a specific format we together already studied the essence consisting in the garments of salvation and stopped to study the robe of righteousness and in part the measure of the price that is required to be paid for the right to be clothed into the garments of righteousness that clothes us into the power uh, to be the administrators of the judgments of God relevant to this we already studied six of the conditions and stopped to look at the seventh condition this is the price for the right to be clothed into the robe of righteousness so that we can perform the justice of God is being clothed into redemption consisting of honoring the Pesach of the Lord according to the statutes implemented by God then Jesus said to them most assuredly I say to you unless you eat the flesh of, of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so he who feeds on me will live because of me this is the bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead he who eats this bread will live forever John 6 53 through 58 
Brother Kadi noted that this place of scripture, it speaks of the truth that consists of the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ, that simultaneously together are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. And so if a person is not familiar with this truth, these forms of truth, which are the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, then such a person will always eat in judgment to himself. Such communion <clears throat> will not help a person, but will uh, destroy him as a plague in Egypt. The main essence in the virtue of eating the Pesa consists in knowing the teaching contained in the truth of the blood of Christ and the truth about the cross of Christ. That by being instructed in the faith is called to open for us generous access to the unsearchable inheritance of the blood of Jesus Christ. If a person, by being instructed in the faith, will not be taught these two fundamental truths, which are the root system of the teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, then he will not have any opportunity worthily to partake in the soup, in the supper of the Lord. We have noted that each detail of daily celebration of Pesach demonstrated in the worthy partaking of the supper of the Lord indicated the def definitive liberation from slavery of sin and death within the body and in the future the definitive liberation from the corrupt body itself and from the mortal soul which because of our worthy, uh, worthy eating of the lamb Pesach we will in time be clothed into the incorruption and immortality. The stat and so if a person had always uh, unworthily eaten of the Pesach of the Lord then he was never able to clothe himself into what he was supposed to. The statute of Pesach worthily eating of the lamb Pesach included the requirement of special clothing representing your readiness to administer the justice of God as well as specific requirements necessary to worthily eat the lamb Pesach. <clears throat> not following these requirements in any of their aspects did not spare a person from suffering a verdict of death. And contrary to this, as we know, uh, the punishment for sin is death. And contrary to this, if a person did follow these requirements consisting in the statutes of Pesach, it made this person a partaker of the judgments of God over the firstborn of Egypt. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Exodus 12.12 12. Looking at the given regulations, we conclude that the firstborn of Egypt, from whom the Egyptians depended, were the gods of Egypt. Our dependence from something or someone identifies our God and our trust and our worship. And so when people say that they depend on God, but in reality they depend on other things, then they are now worshipping these other things and God is no longer their God and their hope. And this is very clearly seen in difficult situations when, when there are losses, when there are tests, uh, uh, when they hear some, you hear something and you have to make a choice. I notice when I'm presented with a choice, I understand uh, that it will determine what I live by. 
and I state something, but does it live in within me truly? If trust upon God, do you have this trust upon God or do you not? Ask, you ask the question. The firstborn of Egypt represented the soul of man, one who has refused to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus. Pastor explained this, that the firstborn of Egypt are, these are the called, and there are multitudes of them. These are holy people who came to the Lord and who, uh, ha, who have filled various churches. But why are they called the firstborn of Egypt? Because they refused to lose their soul in the death of the Lord Jesus, that he they can die for their nation, the house of their father, and for their fleshly desires and preferences that are against the desires of God. Therefore, if uh, these people resist the truth, they are then in the firstborn, uh, uh, in the category of the firstborn of Egypt. We understand, for example, we were some of us were born in, in, in Ukraine, and some of our relatives, and today, the events that have been taken place, uh, the first things that have taken place uh, is an informational war, and each one stay, uh, speaks the things that uh, the one supporting them want uh, want them to say. And as we know, faith comes from to us by listening to the word of God, and when we hear it, then we have become responsible for what we hear collaborating with these uh, specific forms of truth to be vigilant over them will be the collaboration of my faith with the faith of God. Many Christian people have become political Christians and their politicized word is being preached in the churches. They they take up weapons and they go to fight a war they're not supposed to. Let's look at David and what he was filled with in his time. And at that time when there was a war in Israel he was just tending the sheep of his father and nothing more he was not uh, tending uh, pigs of various opinions and information but uh, sheep which were pure pure animals it's a pure form of thinking and so being vigilant about every thought of his father the sheep were his fathers and he took care of every one of them as we have to take care of the thoughts of our father, he would chase down the lion or the bear if they attacked, and he protect protected every herd thought. This is an example of watching over the thoughts, the information that we receive, the, as we are an informational program. When Brother Akadi had uh, read in Songs of Solomon, "Tell me, the one whom my soul loves." Where do you tend your flocks? And she didn't know, and so he told her, the most beautiful of women, go follow in the footsteps of the the, the shepherds and, and tend your sheep at the tents of the shepherds. And so it's referring to her being trusting them completely and uh, by trusting them, you then pr- have uh, a time will come where you'll have your own uh, sheep. If you remember at the time when uh, the nation of Israel was uh, all, they were shaking in their armor, uh, they were afraid of Goliath. But what happened with David? And what will happen to us when we behave like David 
and when the Lord will become a living shield then bet- between us and our enemies. And David said to Saul, your servant uh, care- cared for the sheep of his father, and so when a lion or bear would attack, I would chase them down and kill them, and if he tried to attack me, I took him and tore him apart. Both lion and bear did your servant kill, and with this uncircumcised Philistine, it will be the same, because that is because of the things that he's saying against God's armies. And so how did David look at his brothers and sisters as the, the armies of the living God? As the Lord said uh, to Moses at his time, I will bring out my army, my nation, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, and I will perform great judgments. That's collaborating my faith with the faith of God, obeying my faith uh, to God's faith, the general listening to the words of God's messenger and if we will not uh, perform God's judgment and condemning our old man and following the the feast of the Pesach or celebrating and eat, eating the Pesach according to God's requirements we will not be able to be then the descendants of Abraham or the faith, descendants of the faith of Abraham who became the father of all who believe and consequently will not be able to be clothed into the robe of righteousness in the form of our newer sacred person. Abraham, placed by God as an example of faith, received the promise of God in the form of a seed of the preached to him word, which is why he began to proclaim the not existent as existent, and in this way grew this seed into the fruit of joy in the born by him son Isaac. The feast of Pesach, the clothes of skin, which God made to re- to redeem the first Adam still be- still before the creation of the world was called by God to become the blessed destiny of all men who are foreknown and destined by God for salvation. Foreknown is the first. He knew them beforehand. This is not those who are pr- uh, purposed for but foreknown beforehand because specifically worthily eating Pesach, God received the opportunity to fulfill the essence of all of his inherited oath promises, including performing his verdict over his enemies in the form of the wicked, the world, belittling poverty, and all nature of illness and weakness, oppressing his chosen remnant. And so that the imperishable treasure of the Feast of Pesach containing your partaking to the family of God and to the righteousness of God would become our inheritance. The scriptures require us to fulfill 10 conditions or more accurately to remain or abide in these 10 conditions. And these are in the selection and separation of the lamb Pesach, removing all leaven from your house, that is all sin from your house, to apply the blood of the lamb Pesach upon the doorposts and lintel of the door, cook the entire lamb Pesach on the fire, gird yourself with a belt, put sandals on your feet, have your staff in your hand, eat the entire lamb, eat the lamb pesach with unleavened breads and bitter herbs, eat the lamb pesach in haste. And so we together studied uh, or stopped to study the triumphant and final uh, component and that's to eat the lamb pesach in haste. Exodus 12:11. and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, in your staff in your hand, so you shall, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
The element of haste when eating Pesach was so important that it is repeatedly brought up in Scripture as an unchanging law. It is specifically this element that was used when coming out or exiting from Egypt. And it is specifically this element that was raised to special importance as a sign, able to serve as a sign of circumcision of our heart and ear. Deuteronomy 16.3 You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day of which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Specifically, the word haste will have the sign. Hastiness is will will give them remembrance of how they came out of the land of Egypt. The word haste, apart from its direct meaning in the realm of earth, to rush, hurry, and not be late, in Hebrew, in the realm of the spirit, includes completely different definitions. And these are, in haste, or to eat in haste, is to take the yoke upon yourself carry your cross, overcome suffering, be clothed into the mantle of a student, be clothed into armor of light, into the power of the teaching of Christ, or be strengthened with all might according to the glorious power of God. Renew, renew your mind, meditate about the law of the Most High, heed the word of God with fear and trembling, stand guard not to damage the word of God. Considering that eating Pesach is the guarantee of the New Testament, which symbolically is consistent in the number 8, considering these meanings, we decided to look at 8 signs which contain the meaning of haste, although there are many more of them. In a specific format, we already looked at 6 of those signs identifying haste when worthily eating the lamb Pesach and stopped to study the 7th sign of haste. And this is to be strengthened with all might according to the glorious power of God, with all patience and long-suffering, with joy. Colossians 1.11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering, with joy. And so if you just read this place and not study it and think this is sufficient, then this is a great mistake. Many places of scripture, people cite them, they literally pull them out of context and they just uh, state, uh, as we could say, dry slogans. Slogans themselves don't have anything, they have no weight, they carry no weight. And unfortunately, they even contradict one another. And so, what is this all might? because we are trying to identify all this might and the glorious power, so we are using this power with all patience and long-suffering with joy, we can reach specific goals. In Scripture, the power of God with which we are to be strengthened, eating the Pesach of the Lord in haste, is identified in a countless number of meanings of the abilities of God. All of the strength of God, His power, is in the abilities of God contained in the multitude of his works which demonstrate might of the glory of God. And so in Hebrew, the word power or strength in Hebrew is might, strength, mightiness, the right, authority, sign, covenant, light, 
marking, indication, the attributes of royal power, all armor of God, heavenly hosts, the elements of the universe, multitude of his loving kindness and tender mercies, a multitude of the greatness and beauty of God, a multitude of might and strength, the ability or opportunity to perform justice and righteousness, the ability to expand and widen, miracle, a miraculous work, and marvel. Therefore, only collaborating with specific powers of God which work within us and through us will we be able to have evidence of the fact that we are eating the Pesach of the Lord with haste, giving us the ability to confront ambitions of our own personal Egypt. Therefore, to be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, it is necessary to fulfill a condition, and this condition is to abide in all patience and long-suffering with joy. However, for this purpose, we need to study what is all might of God, as said, all of the might of God contained in His glorious power. <clears throat> Otherwise, we will not be able to abide within all patience and long-suffering with joy, so we be strengthened or strengthen ourselves with these various and numerous powers of, of God's strength if we will not be able to identify them. Studying the first question, what is all might of God contained in His glorious power? We concluded that the multi-meaning and multi-function of the power of God is identified in unmeasured and innumerable abilities of God demonstrated in the various works of God. Psalm 66.3 Say to God, how awesome are your works! Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. The main enemy is our soul, who is linked to our nation, the house of our Father, and with our genetic desires, being supported by the numerous powers of the underworld or hell. True works of God performed within our heart because of the multitude of God's strengths input fear and reverence before God. And such results are to be seen in the life of each individual person who eats the Pesach of the Lord with, with haste. Therefore, in the multi-meaning multi and multi-function of the strengths or power of God, we see the magnificent work of the redemption of God, showing us who God is to us and what God has done for us. And again, not for someone else, but for me personally, what he has done. We ask the question, in what way are we to be strengthened with all might of God, opening to, a, uh, to us the essence of what we need to do so that we can inherit all, all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, in a specific format, we already looked at some examples which identified the nature and character of specific strength and power of God performed within the people and through the people, and stop to study the next component of the power of the Lord, which is called to make itself known in the heart and, and through the heart of a redeemed by God person in the multitude of the loving kindness and tender mercies of God. Psalm 5.7 But as for you, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. The multitude of God's mercies is the multitude of God's strength, so that by the means of the multitude of God's strength demonstrated in a multitude of His mercy to enter the house of God, it is necessary for us, uh, for our heart to obtain the right not only to rule and collaborate with these strengths or these powers, but also to the right to abide within them. 
<clears throat> and that means to abide in these mercies. The right to rule and abide within the strength or powers of God is the fear of the Lord, which is called to utilize and lead all of these strengths, to blot out our lawlessness before the face of God. <clears throat> I will read the psalm that we have heard already before that we pray and we confess also in our prayers. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Brother Kadi noted here that the multitude of his strength and the multitude of his mercies can blot out our transgressions when the transgressions remain before God, then our names pass, or our lives pass by, our days pass by in wrath, because he has put this these transgressions before his eyes. And then it, your years are 70, if if not 80 years, and we, uh, as it says, we go by quickly, our years go by quickly. And so when a person comes to God, but as their transgressions are made before God's face, then their years pass by in God's wrath. Because God always uh, pours out His wrath when transgressions are not blotted out, when a person does not know how to blot out these sins or transgressions, when He's constantly saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, then your transgressions are not removed or blotted out. You need to do something with yourself. You need to do something from your side so that God show you mercy so that this lawlessness go away. Where are these law where's this lawlessness? Where's the where are these transgressions? Of course, they are linked to our nation, with our house and with our genetic uh, preferences, our soul. And so when we Tore all the, tear it off the off of ourselves. We we cast it off of ourselves. We tear it off like skin. We die, and then lawlessness no longer is present. But while this is existing and present, then these transgressions will constantly before God's eyes. And so David understood this, and he prayed with the right words. And taking these words of prayer, when we read these and we we take these words of prayer we apply them specifically to ourselves we proclaim before God in trembling and we unite with these words you know notice that when we pray on Sunday when pastor invites people to repentance to to healing renewal we experience together with all the saints and we in our seats also proclaim this prayer we repeat the prayer and you may it may seem like they're the same words, but every time they're fresh and they're new, and this way we're uh, we're like an organism together, just like the manifestation, the one we previously uh, would proclaim, who in his functioning power would be able to do exceedingly more and greater than what what thought imaginable. We we would pray a different uh, manifestation. But when we're now proclaiming the manifestation, it's always afresh, it is always, when we're doing it sincerely, it works within us. Every time there's new colors. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward part and in the, in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Pastor noted that we can't purge ourselves with hyssop. We need a person whom God has placed over us so that he could sprinkle us with this hyssop so that he speak the words, your sins are forgiven, your trespasses are released. Otherwise, they won't be. Christ had also stated in the past and today the forgiving forgiveness of sin and the retaining of sins those you forgive will be forgiven. Those who you retain the sin, they'll be retained. And as we know, the power of forgiveness and the power of sprinkling with hyssop. Each one knows this personally and remembers this in their life. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from me, from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast away me away from your presence and do not take your holy spirit from me restore to me restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit psalm 51 1 through 12 although acknowledging your lawless be- lawlessness before god is a major step for god to blot out blot out our lawlessness however just acknowledging your lawlessness before god is not enough because to blot out our lawlessness it is necessary to collaborate with the multitude of the strengths of God in the form of his mercies contained in the inheritance of the blood of the cross of Christ because of the unique collaboration with the multitude of God's loving kindness demonstrated in his countless tender mercies does creation of a prayer happen identifying haste when eating Pesach have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to, to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. The thing, thing is, only after the blotting out of our lawlessness by the means of our collaboration with the multitude of God's mercies, we become worthy of God and receive the right to enter before God's face to establish His interests and His perfect just, uh, justice. Until this time, a person cannot enter to God's presence, and if he thinks he is entering into God's presence, He's just deceiving himself and those who listen to him. However, to perform the justice of God, it is necessary for mercy and truth to be bound around our neck and these virtues be written upon the tablets of our heart. That's what the scriptures say. Proverbs 3, 3, 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 3, 3, 4. You note that when when we obtain mercy in the sight of God and favor, when we bind mercy and truth around our neck and write them on the tablets of our heart, and to do this, we need someone to explain how to do it. It's important to be instructed in faith. We note that the symbol of our neck, which we are called to bind with mercy and truth, implies the collaboration of our sovereign will with the sovereign and perfect will of God. 
upon practice this means obey your will to the perfect will of God written in scripture every person has the right to choose and and during the time of choosing a person chooses to become a servant of righteousness or a servant of sin a person who's uh, born, he's born free, but he's free to make a specific choice to either choose to be a slave of righteousness or slave of sin. A person can choose a form of slavery uh, uh, to be a slave of righteousness, then he will be a slave of righteousness. Again, one choice. But people understand the word freedom as something very uh, different. For example, a prisoner who sat in jail for years and then comes out, he thinks he's free, but he doesn't realize he's still a prison of his sinful desires, he's in a prison still of his old man, he's still a slave. At the same time, the condition to write the mercy and truth upon the tablets of your heart implies the collaboration of a wise and reasonable heart with the wisdom and mind of God, which upon practice means prepare the soil of your heart to receive the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. When I noted this truth for myself, it became very clear to me. It was difficult at first. Everything rose against me, uh, as it were, uh, around me. Just my inner essence, I felt uh, as if he rose, at ag rose against me inside, and I need to be vigilant that my heart be prepared before the service. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you, Exodus 31.6. I have put wisdom, and wisdom is in the preparation, and a wise heart when it comes to the service that's prepared its heart to listen to the Word of God. And if the heart came prepared, then it is lacking than doubt or other things. And the person that doesn't lose time to collaborate with what he hears, and then the accepted and heard word then falls into the prepared soil so that it can grow. If someone is not ready to receive the word or prepared, then there's a different soil. And God doesn't just toss his seeds where, where it will fall. And so, unfortunately, when the heart is not prepared, this pretty much indicates that a person is not a student, one who is not uh, learning. To become a student, you need to ask the Lord where, to, where you need to go, where the pers his person is, so he can teach you. Therefore, the teaching about mercy demonstrated in the redemption of God, which are called to bind around our neck, can demonstrate itself in no other way, but only strictly within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth identified by the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, and not the creation of far-fetched apostolates and the implementation of several types of pseudo-religious education, as well as the products of personal intellect, 
not having any right and ability to comprehend mercy and truth in the transcendence of the Word of God. And so that God would outstretch His golden scepter to us in the form of His favor toward us, due to which we would receive the authority to establish His justice over the righteous as well as over the unrighteous, the virtue of mercy within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth is called to become the possession of our heart as well as the state of our heart, identifying the kingdom of heaven. Relevant to this, we decided to renew in our mind the essence of already familiar to us questions. What character does the scripture give the quality of God's mercy, which is a demonstration of the multitude of his strength, identifying the favor of God and man in the form of his golden scepter? What purpose is the multitude of the strengths of God called to fulfill within our relation, within our worship, in the form of his mercy? Third, what price do we need to pay so that the multitude of the mercies of God would become our possession and our state? And fourth, by what results do we judge that that God truly has stretched out the multitude of his mercies over us in the form of his golden scepter, which gives us the multitude of his strengths or his powers? Studying the first question, what characteristics does the scripture give the quality of God's mercy, which is a demonstration of the multitude of his strength, identifying the favor of God and man, in the form of his golden scepter, we conclude that the mercy of the Lord, as it is, is one of the main names of God, as well as one of his characteristical title virtues. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 1.3 <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Second, the mercy of the Lord is... When we're referring here to <clears throat> the Lord being our comfort, that means the Lord is our strength. And so being the Father of all mercy and comfort means He's our uh, Father of strength. Second, the mercy of the Lord is the inheritance of God, which is passed on exclusively to His children as the heirs of the faith of Abraham from one righteous generation to another, another righteous generation, from a father to a son, and the son is not an inspector, the son is a student. And a student will definitely receive as, as from the father, from the person whom God has sent, the messenger of God. Third, the mercy of the Lord in status is greater than life in the flesh because it is better than life in the flesh. Fourth, the mercy of the Lord is one of the diverse or multifaceted demonstrations of the goodness of God demonstrated in His grace, which rules in the heart of man through righteousness, which a person previously received freely by that very same grace by, by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Fifth, the mercy of the Lord consisting in the goodness of God is one of the identifications and demonstrations of the truth of God, purpose for the vessels of mercy, who walk within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth. God's goodness is one of the demonstrations and identifications of truth. Psalm 89.1 I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. 
and we paid attention to the concept of boundaries of the legitimate field of truth and righteousness within our heart and that it gives God the opportunity to demonstrate within our heart the multitude of his mercies which are seen as the multitude of powers or God's strength. Therefore, for God to demonstrate the multitude of his mercies in us, we need our heart to have the boundaries of truth and righteousness and to receive the right to proclaim the many forms of God's mercy we can within the boundaries of mercy and truth. Therefore, to receive the right to declare the multitude of the mercies of God is possible for us exclusively within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth. We conclude that a person who declares mercy and declares them within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth abides in the goodness of God and in this way keeps himself from falling away. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who feel severity, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Romans 11.22 It is in the given situation, the goodness of God is the demonstration of the mercy of God which outstretches upon exclusively those people who have bound their neck with mercy with the bound within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth. At the same time, the severity of God is a demonstration of the justice and righteousness of God outstretching over those people who have refused to bind their neck with mercy within the boundary of the legitimate field of truth. The scriptures call them stiff-necked. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Psalm 89.14 The phrase mercy and truth go before your face means that mercy <clears throat> and truth precede the justice and righteousness of God. They go before the justice and righteousness of God and serve for man as the justification of God where God does not account to man the guilt of his transgressions. If we will not prepare our heart to obey, if a person does not come in this state to the Lord, then righteousness or uh, and justice will strike a person. If you, do, if you don't come to the Lord in such a state of preparation, then the righteousness and justice will destroy a person. If we will not prepare our heart to obey by listening to the declared mercy within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth, we will not have any ability to turn the favor of God upon ourselves. Here's what Prophet Isaiah says, and also Apostle Paul, Romans 10, 16, 17, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 16, 17. I want to pay attention to the fact that God entrusts uh, this faith to those whom he sends. An apostle, Paul and Isaiah were sent. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People easily believe information from people who were never sent or not messengers. But they try with all their power to uh, be noticed because of their intellect or abilities. The means for receiving all help, which is in the inheritance of the mercies of God, is prayer or worship. Since prayer is no other but the right which man gives for the intervention of heaven on earth. And we all are all called to give God such a right only upon the implemented by him conditions. 
one of these prayers of David written in Psalm 143 where he, he gives God the right to intervene in his life with his mercy and our life as well with his mercy. When we apply these words to ourselves in our prayers, then these words will become our own. Yes, they were once given, not because David uh, was just uh, smarter. He was, but God, he wrote these prayers because of revelations God gave him and uh, as examples for us as well. We take God's words and they become our words and when we read them and we pray them and we agree with them and because they, we agree with them, they are then dissolved in us. Yes, if a person has a lot of knowledge, but this is not a dissolved knowledge in him, there's a difference. Just having a lot of knowledge in, in his mind, but it's not dissolved within him, in his heart, then in his spirit, then he, then they won't work, this knowledge. Even if you recite them and, and memorize them. But they need it to be dissolved so that they could live. And we give God the right to intervene in, in our life with His mercy, which abides in, in our heart as it did in David's heart, within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth. This will be the focus of our study. In this prayer, we see ten uh, signs of why or forms of evidence of why God needs to hear us, why He needs to hear me, why He needs to hear you. Because God doesn't listen to a sinner. He lives, listens to the righteous, as we know, and we know we're righteous. But the righteous needs to present to him that he is righteous. And this prayer begins with these words. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. You note that David begins this prayer. He lays out the foundation of, uh, upon which he shows that God should hear him. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplication. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. And David describes his experience, his state that he's in right now, and it's very important that this experience, uh, you experience this, and it belongs to us, for the saints that live in the last days. He says, for the enemy has the enemy has not changed the enemy he had and the enemy we have today is the same enemy times have changed but the enemy hasn't for the enemy has persecuted my soul he has crushed my life to the ground he has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me my heart within me is distressed I remember the days of old I meditate on all your works I muse on the works of your hands I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. 
In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Psalm 143, 1 through 12. And to be heard by God, David needed to present to God, and we need to present to God, specific foundation or specific right which would serve for God as sufficient evidence to be able to intervene in the life of David with his mercy and truth, as well as our life as well. For David, such evidence in the given prayer were ten arguments or ten bases upon which David brought this to God, stating to uh, stating uh, that he should hear him, the reasons. And so the basis he upon which he needs to hear him or the arguments, because of your faithfulness and righteousness, because I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your works, because I spread out my hands to you, because in you do I trust, because I lift up my soul to you, because in you I take shelter, because you are my God, for your name's sake, for your righteousness sake, and because I am your servant. We already studied the first argument which gave God the legitimate right to stand on the side of David in his resistance against the given enemies. This evidence of God's faithfulness and righteousness abiding within his heart, which are the boundaries of the legitimate field for the work of God's redemption, demonstrated in the multitude of his mercies. We have noted that truth in faithfulness and righteousness are not to be perceived as the same thing, although they are similar to one another, they have similarities, like a daughter is similar to her mother or son like his father. And in scripture, righteousness coming from truth or truth pr produces itself in righteousness, just like a father reproduces himself in his son or his seed, or as seed produces itself in fruit. From which we can conclude that truth is the root identifying the state of the human heart. At the same time, righteousness or justice is the tree which grows from the root, demonstrating its very state. And when the tree grows, righteousness from truth, then God can give his multitude of strength and power. <clears throat> Considering, therefore, justice or righteousness is truth in action or the result of what truth within our heart produces. Therefore, to perform judgment or righteousness, which is justice, is it is necessary to possess within your heart a rod of truth which could identify the state of our heart. Relevant to this, we stop to study the question, by what results are we able to determine that we are within the legitimate boundaries of faithfulness and righteousness? In a specific format, we already looked at 10 signs of mercy, which is evidence that we are within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth and righteousness. And so this is the... And therefore, we will immediately turn to the 11th sign, and this is the mercy of God, which will bring us back to our original state every time we fall into sin and repent. And this is not when a person uh, says that, I will repent when I shall decide or when it will be convenient for me. This is when a person's repenting when God called him. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. 
It is not a calling for the righteous person to fall seven times. It says, if he falls seven times, he will rise again. Proverbs 24, 15, 16. An evil thought of the wicked against the righteous consists in him like Balaam, the son of Beor, because of the greed that they have. Teach Balak, the king of the Moabites, uh, who symbolizes the soul, which has refused to die for his nation, the house of his father, and for the corrupt desires. Balaam teaches Balak how to lead the righteous into sin. And so the informational field, everything, uh, if you look today, the things that we departed from and left, how people are beginning to draw to it. And so when the righteous falls into the net of the wicked and, and falls, God, beca because of his repentance, restores the righteous, but the wicked, like Balaam, the son of Boar, fall into doom. And Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the, the signal uh, trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the king, kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Bor, they also killed with the sword. Numbers 31, 6 through 8. It was him who was trying to convince Balak how to get the righteous men into sin. And understandably, victory over the five kings of Midian came after the repentance of the Israelites and their sins, where Israel, in the form of Moses, condemned sin in the form of the heads of the nation, who were the helpers of Moses, hanging them on a tree before the sun. Numbers 25, 1-7 Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to, sa to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. This is exactly what Balaam uh, taught him. They presented the most beautiful of w beautiful women and, and attracted, and they, they are the ones who attracted them to their idols. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Everyone, if you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren, a Midianite woman, in the sight of, Mo of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he followed then this Israelite and he... Uh, killed him and the woman that he had and the destruction stopped numbers 25 1 through 7 and so condemning uh the sins before god the confessions this is uh confessing our sin before god and in this way we nail we we nail it down with a javelin we strike it and the wrath then ceases Psalm 32, 3 through 6. 
When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near you. Therefore, every time when the righteous falls into sin because of his repentance, he is restored to his original position. This renewal is a demonstration of the power of God demonstrated in his mercy within the boundaries of the legitimate field of truth and righteousness. Which is why we know we are within the boundaries of the legitimate boundaries of legitimate field of truth because when, uh, if we fall, we know that we could rise and we'll, we could repent and and re- get back to our position. Twelfth sign that we are within the boundaries of the legitimate field of faithfulness and righteousness is the mercy of God in the received righteousness to flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. We need to immediately note that the soil into which the righteous is planted is the house of the Lord in the form of a local church of saints, which does not separate itself from the unity of faith in the form of all saints, not separating based on religious confession, nationality, or or gender. Flourishing of the palm tree is accompanied by matured and fresh fruits and and the rise of righteousness over lawlessness is presented in the growing of the cedar upon the Lebanon mountain heights which are covered with snow. We ask the question what specifics are presented in the flourishing palm tree symbolizing the fruit of righteousness and what specifics are presented in the growing cedar in Lebanon which is a symbol of the fruit of righteousness that together give us the ability to proclaim that the Lord is upright and that He's our rock and there's no unrighteousness in Him. The pastor identified, our pastor identified uh, the righteous of uh, having two functions, the male and the female. The female function able to receive the seed, the male function the ability to confess the seed, confess faith. When we confess the faith of our heart, we are becoming this male palm tree. The heart needs to possess the one and the other function simultaneously the female function receiving the seed of the word and the male function <coughs> confessing the seed of the word <coughs> in Jesus Christ we are one and in Jesus Christ there's no male or female gender and he wanted all of us to have both functions he created both men and women in his image and likeness he separated functions and uh, obligations and in spirit of course they are not separate this is just in the physical realm in the spiritual both uh, all people possess both functions both uh, receiving the seed and both confessing the seed and we see this in the palm tree that is uh, that grows dates I think for today I will finish on this word I call all of us to prayer. Amen. Let us pray.
let us thank the Lord for the word that the Lord had revealed to our brother Akari, our pastor. Heavenly Father, we turn to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this privilege and ability to be before your face in your house to proclaim your great words which you have revealed to your saints. We thank you we pray for the opportunity and the privilege to count ourselves dead to sin and living for you to hold fast this confession for the one who promised is faithful who has begun this work in our life will complete this work and will finish it we proclaim that we are freed from the sinful conduct passed on to us from our fathers we are freed from the law of sin and death and you have led us into the new law, into the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. We worship you for this and we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have become our God of strength, our stronghold, our deliverer, our shield, our rock, our horn of salvation. We will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And this will makes us tremble the kind of God we have because the word that we hear it has become a light for our new person a light for our path a light for our hope and we thank you Father that we can see ourselves free the fact that we're suffering but the Lord lives and we will not be moved forever and ever. We worship before you for the word that has become for us a light and revelation. It has become for us the Urim and the Thummim. It has become for us the, the wings of the, of the eagle, the large eagle, that has become, as it was for Joshua and Caleb, the physical eyes were seeing one thing, but the inner person that was filled with the word was seeing what was inside upon the tablets. And we thank you that we can also see this way because those who died will resurrect. And if they, Jesus died and resurrected, then we, if we die, we'll resurrect with him and we live with that in that resurrection. We rejoice that we can partake in the supper of the Lord that pulled us away from everything we used to live by, that pulled us out of those things that we used to value, the things that were worldly, that are condemned to judgment and curses. And we thank you that we are healed by your wounds. We thank you that upon this place, you lift us up to heights that are unreachable for us. You uh, do the work in our life. You free us from depression error and ignorance it departs from our mind and we know how good the Lord is who has prepared for us a banquet 
before the eyes of our enemies and re we rejoice with what fills us, what we can be dissolved in and what we can confess. May you be lifted up and glorified in our life and through us, our wonderful Lord and, and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, the glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.